Hey, good morning. My name is Steve. If I've not had the pleasure of meeting you yet, I am our pastor of Community Life here at Maricopa Springs, and we are glad to have you with us this morning. If you brought your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn with me to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. There are two types of people that every person needs to have in their life. I need these people. You need these people. Everybody needs these people. The first person is the person who can show you how. Person who can show you how. Maybe, maybe you know somebody who's just a fantastic cook. They could be a chef or a, they could work at a five-star restaurant if they wanted to. So every time you go to their house, it feels like you're, you're eating this just amazing meal. Everything that they put in the oven comes out exactly how it should. You can take pictures. You could post it on Instagram, and people will think that you're at you know, some amazing restaurant. And then, for some reason, you go home, and the next day or the next week, you try to make the same thing, and you're like, I can't even boil water without burning it. And so, and so you would love to have this person. You wish that you could have this person show you how to do what they do. If somehow they could impart their knowledge, their skills, their abilities to you and make it so that you could do what they do, so that you could know what they know, you know that that would just absolutely transform your life. You just wish that that person would, would show you how. There was, there was a time, there was a time that Marianne and I took our car to the car dealership, to the, the shop to, to have it worked on. And, and while they were working on it, uh, the mechanic comes out to the waiting room where we are and he's dressed in his whole, you know, mechanic uniform where he's got all the grease and stuff on him. So, you know, he, he really looks the part. And, uh, he comes out and he says, while we were working on your car, I noticed that your headlights have been oxidized. And I don't really know what that means, but it sounds bad. Um, and, <laughs> And he says, your headlights are only like 20% as bright as they're supposed to be. In fact, I can barely let you leave here like this because I'm pretty sure you're going to die on your way home. Um, and, so, and so he says, fortunately for you, though, I just got a new shipment of headlight deoxidizer that just came in this morning. And I'm thinking, well, I mean, how good luck is that? I mean, I was going to die in a fiery car wreck, but you just got deoxidizer, so we're in good shape. And he says... For the low, low price, just for you, special deal, $100, I can restore your headlights back to factory new condition. And I'm thinking, that's just, that's, that's too good a deal to pass up. So we wait a little bit of extra time. Some of you know where I'm going with this, don't you? <laughs> so we wait a little bit of extra time, pay our extra $100, and we leave with headlights that you can see from outer space, 100% money back guarantee. Later that week, uh, we're hanging out with some friends, and I'm telling one of my friends who's a little bit of a car guy about how, you know, our headlights were about to implode and self-destruct, but this mechanic happened to have this headlight restorer in, and, and he, he saved the, us from having that, that happen, and for only $100, he was able to restore our headlights, and my friend, like many of you would be, just starts cracking up, and he's, he's laughing uncontrollably for far too long, and so finally I'm able to interrupt him and ask him what's so funny, and and he goes, you don't need to pay somebody $100 to go like this with a little cloth in front of your headlights. And if you are going to pay someone $100 to do that, can I please be that person? <laughs> and so as he continues in his hilarious laughter, and I'm realizing just how badly I've gotten fleeced at this point, I say, well, if it's so easy, why don't you show me how to do it? And so he goes, all right. 
that, sound, that sounds fair enough. So we go down to some auto parts store, which I'd never been in before because it's an auto parts store and it's me. Um, and, 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 and I bought this $10 cleaning kit and he gives me all the instructions. He goes, all right, this is how you use it. This is how much to put on the cloth. This is where you wipe and for how long. And all of a sudden, after this $10 investment and 10 minute lesson, I now had somebody who could show me how to do something that I didn't know how to do, that I needed to know how to do, and thankfully no longer had to pay somebody to do every time I needed to do it. Sometimes, sometimes you need those people in your lives. Sometimes you need that person who can show you how to do it. Other times, though, you don't need someone who can show you how to do something. You just need someone who can do it for you. Maybe one day you've woken up with a toothache and your mouth hurts so bad that you can't even think straight or you can't even see straight. And so your only priority at that point is to get to a dentist, to get to somebody who can fix what's wrong with your mouth. You don't go in asking questions, what do you think is causing this? You don't go in asking, why didn't the fifth dentist recommend Trident? You don't care whether or not this person has certifications, qualifications. All that you care about at that moment is whether or not that person can do for you something that you need to have done, but that you cannot do on your own. We've been in the Gospel of Luke, in and out of it for the last handful of weeks, and uh, one of the things that we've noticed is that Jesus spends his time basically doing two things. There are two areas that he invests his time in. The first one is in teaching people. He teaches about a whole lot of things, and the goal of his teaching is to help people, to allow people, to empower people to experience the life that they were always meant to have, to experience the life that they're supposed to have. And so he teaches on things like love and prayer and money and relationships and forgiveness, and he's helping people to know what they need to know and to, give, to have the tools that they need to have in order to experience life the way that it's supposed to be. He teaches people how to enjoy good things without being consumed by them and how to make it through bad things without being destroyed by them. Jesus was a guy who could tell you how to do it. He was a guy who could show you how it's done. And yet, Jesus also invested a lot of his time and a lot of his energy in helping and healing people. He spent an inordinate amount of time transforming people's circumstances and lives. And so people had seen him do some amazing things. They had seen him turn water into wine. They'd seen him let deaf people hear and blind people see and lame people walk and even dead people live. And so Jesus was a guy who couldn't just talk about how to do things, who couldn't just show you how to do things. He was a guy who could do things for you that you'd never be able to do on your own. Many people who knew of Jesus and who followed Jesus as he taught and as he worked, they began to ask a question, a very reasonable, very important question. Which of these two things that Jesus does is really most important? Why is Jesus really here? Is it the advice that he gives that matters? Because let's face it, you know this, I know this, that when somebody gives you good advice and when they live it out for you, when they put it on display for you, it can change your whole world. It can transform your life. So is it, is it the teaching that matters? Is it what he says that matters? Or is it the healing? Is it the miracles that he does that really matters? Because let's face it, loving your neighbor is a good thing to do, but it's difficult to do when you're paralyzed and you don't even have the freedom of motion to go to the bathroom on your own. And so we're left with this question. Which of these things is really most important? Is it important that I know what Jesus says I should do? Is it important that I do what Jesus says I should do? 
Or is it important that I experience what Jesus wants to do in my life? And perhaps just as importantly, what do these things have to do with each other? If Jesus could have spent his whole life doing whatever he wanted to do, why did he choose to spend it significantly teaching and healing people? Fortunately for us, Luke chapter 4, verses 31 through 37 gives us an answer to that question. Here's what it says. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath day he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Go away! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all, and he came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, What words these are! With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits, and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. All right, here's, here's what we've got going on here. Jesus has been going around Israel bringing a new, fresh, simple, powerful word from God to people. He's been teaching on things like forgiveness. And he's been saying, if someone's hurt you, if someone's wronged you, don't harbor anger towards that person. Don't harbor bitterness towards that person, but rather, as much as it's possible for you, turn that person and what they've done over to God and let God deal with them. He's talked about marriage. He's talked about how marriage is hard, and yet it's worth fighting for. He tells people, don't get a divorce just because you can't get along, because working through your problems is difficult, but the pain that comes from divorce is far more difficult and far greater. He talks about morality. He says things like, don't lie. Because once you start lying, you basically can't stop. You have to come up with a lie to cover that lie, and another lie to cover that lie. And you have to remember, which lie did I tell this person versus which lie did I tell that person? He says, that's not a good way to live. That's not a good way to do life. And so he says, just tell the truth. That way you don't have to worry about what you told who. You can just tell the truth and know that it's the truth. And people are hearing Jesus' words, and they're doing what Jesus says that they should do. And they're finding that the way that Jesus says they should live really is the best way for them to live. They're saying, you know what, Jesus? You're right. Being angry towards someone, being bitter towards someone has never done anything for me. Forgiving that person and giving them over to God, it may not have fixed the problem, but it at least made it so that that problem and that person no longer had control of my life. I mean, think about it. I don't know about you, but I have never met someone who said, let me tell you my secret to success in life. It's holding grudges and being angry at people all the time. <laughs> they're, they're hearing what Jesus says they should do, and they're doing what Jesus says they should do, and they're finding that this way is right, that this way is best, that this is the way that they wish they would have been living all along. They're not finding that bad things don't happen to them, but rather they're finding that just as a result of living the way that Jesus says that they should live, when bad things do happen, it doesn't cause their world to fall apart. And Jesus claims that the life that he's putting on display for them isn't just a good way to live. It isn't just an improvement on the way that they're living right now. It's the way that they were supposed to live all along. It's the life, it's the freedom, and the joy that they were supposed to experience from the very beginning. 
If sin hadn't come into the world and messed people up and messed the world up, this is the life that you and me and everyone would be experiencing all the time. And so doing life Jesus' way makes things better. But the honest truth is, and and you know this and and I know this, that doing life Jesus' way doesn't always make all things all better. Many of you know that you can live righteously, You can do life God's way, and you can experience great blessing from doing that. But just like someone who doesn't do life God's way, horrible, unexpected things can happen to you and to people that you love. I am am pro-Bible study. I am very much in favor of Bible study, but Bible study itself doesn't prevent cancer. I am pro-prayer. But prayer itself doesn't keep your company from downsizing or keep you from losing your job. I am pro-biblical parenting. But parenting your kids by the principles found in the Bible doesn't mean that your kids might not someday choose to walk away from God. I am pro-following all of God's commands. And yet, even if you do all of these things with all of your heart and all of your mind and all of your strength, sometimes problems come up for which there is no human solution. And that's when you need a miracle. Here's here's Jesus teaching in the synagogue. Love your neighbor. Bless those who curse you. Keep your word. And here's a man for whom all of those things are good and right and helpful things. But for this man, his most pressing need is for him to have somebody who can take this demon away from him. Who can give him back control of his mind. If he's ever going to have the life that he's supposed to have He can't be possessed by this demon. Being possessed by this demon has cost him a lot. It's probably kept him from being able to keep or find a job. It's kept him from being able to have meaningful relationships. It's forced him to live on the fringes, on the outskirts of society, never fully able to experience the life that he's supposed to have. And so if he's ever going to experience that life, he needs to have this demon taken out of him. He needs to be given full control of his mind. Because full control of his mind is something that he's supposed to have. It's the way that things were supposed to be all along. And so Jesus, using the power and the authority by which he gave people the tools and the knowledge in order to have the life that they were supposed to have, he speaks and he uses his words and his power to force this demon to come out of this man and to return to this man his sanity and his dignity and to allow this man to have the life that he was supposed to have all along. When you look at the things that Jesus teaches, he's giving you, he's giving me the knowledge and the tools that we need in order to have the life that we were supposed to have all along. When you look at the things that Jesus does for people, he's giving them the lives that they were supposed to have all along. He's making their lives, he's making the world right again. When Jesus tells people to tell the truth, to do good, and to live a life of love and peace, he's telling it... Because that's the way that people are supposed to live. People are supposed to tell the truth. They're supposed to do good. And they're supposed to live lives of love and peace. Show of hands. How many of you, if you had your choice, would choose to do life with people who live committed to love and peace? Just show show of hands. How many of you would want that? How many of you would prefer instead to do life with people who are committed to laziness and thievery? There's always one. (laughs) Why? 
Why, why do you want that? Why do I want that? Why is it our desire to be surrounded by people who love and care for others? Because there's something inside of you and there's something inside of me that just knows that it's the way that it's supposed to be. So why does Jesus tell us to be certain things and to do certain things? Because those are the things that we're supposed to be and supposed to do. Because that's the way that life was supposed to be all along. Why does Jesus heal demon-possessed people and give them back control of their minds? Because people are supposed, aren't supposed to have demons, and they're supposed to have control of their minds. Why does he feed hungry people? Why does he calm raging seas? Why does he make sick people well? Because people are supposed to be safe and full and well. Why does he let blind people see and deaf people hear and lame people walk and mute people speak and dead people live? Because people are supposed to see and hear and walk and speak and live. Have you ever noticed that the things that Jesus does for people are oftentimes extraordinary but never absurd? Look at the things that Jesus never does for people. He never gives someone two heads. He never turns a person into a tree. He never makes somebody 11 feet tall. He never makes them a San Francisco 49ers fan. Why? Because people aren't supposed to have two heads. They're not supposed to be trees. They're not supposed to be tall. They're not supposed to like Colin Kaepernick. When Jesus tells you to do things, he's telling them to you so that your life can be what it's supposed to be. When Jesus does things for you, he does them so that your life can be what it's supposed to be. When Jesus tells you what to do with your relationships, he's saying your relationships are broken. Here's how they can become the way that they're supposed to be. When Jesus tells you what to do with your finances, he's saying your finances are broken. Here's how they can become the way that they're supposed to be. When Jesus heals you from an emotional abuse or gives you the tools by which you can release that person and what they did to you over to God, he's saying your emotions are broken. Here's the way that they can become the way that they're supposed to be. When Jesus tells you that the most important thing that you can do is love God with your whole self and love your neighbor as yourself, he's saying your priorities are broken. Here's how they can become the way, help me, that they're supposed to be. When Jesus tells you to believe that he's come to save you from your sins, he's saying your relationship with God is broken. Here's how it can become the way, come on, let's do it together, that it's supposed to be. When Jesus heals you of a pain or a sickness that you're experiencing, he's saying your body is broken. Let me make it the way that it's supposed to be. I think that sometimes the difficulty that you and I face is not so much knowing that we need something in our lives to change, but oftentimes rather knowing what that thing is. A handful of years ago, I was talking with a buddy who was at risk of losing his job because he kept not showing up to work on time. And he, and he tells me, I'm going to need a miracle to keep this job. And I'm sitting there going, I'm thinking you might not need a miracle, but rather an alarm clock and a reasonable bedtime. <laughs> maybe, maybe you know someone who has a decent job, who makes decent money at their job, and yet it seems like they're always one unexpected event away from a financial catastrophe. And so they'll say things like, I'm going to need some good luck if I'm going to be able to pay my bills this month. Or, I'm going to need a miracle to keep things together. And you're sitting there going, really? 
Because it sounds to me like you need a budget and a financial plan. Sometimes you do this. Sometimes I do this. Sometimes we, instead of doing things the way that we're supposed to do them, we want to do them the way that we've been doing them, and we just want God to make things all better. And yet, on the other hand, sometimes you meet people who've been dealing with these burdens and these hardships for so long that they don't even remember what it was like to do life without them. And so they'll say things like, well, sure, I'd, I'd love to have a job, but it's not supposed to be. Or, I'd love to be, be healed from this pain, this disease, this hurt, this addiction. I'd love to be free from it, but it's not supposed to be. And I guess my question is, who says? Or more to the point, who gave you the right to make that declaration? You're saying, my relationships are dead, my career is dead, my body is dead, and Jesus is saying, yeah, but that's not the way that it's supposed to be. Those things may be dead, but they're supposed to be alive. And and ladies and gentlemen, if you only get one thing this morning, get this. You ready? Jesus is good at a lot of things, but he is especially good at bringing dead things back to life. Now, some of you are probably thinking, Steve, it sounds like you're saying two very different things here. Am I supposed to do what Jesus says with my life? Or am I supposed to ask him for a miracle and wait to see what he does in my life? That is a good question, and it is one that Jesus never directly answers. But if you look at everything that Jesus said and everything that Jesus did, here's the answer that you'll come away with. Do what he says and see what he does. Learn what he says. Find it out for yourself. Read the New Testament, read the gospel, read the red letters. Find out exactly what Jesus says about how you can have the life that you're supposed to have and then go do those things and see what he does. And maybe, maybe you're thinking, you know, Steve, I can't do anything until Jesus heals me of this physical, mental, or emotional pain that I'm in. Until he heals me from that, I can't do anything at all. And I just have to tell you, yes, you can. No matter what kind of pain you are going through, and your pain is real, and your pain is strong, there is nothing about that pain that has to keep you from loving God with your whole self and loving your neighbor as yourself. By knowing what Jesus says and doing what Jesus says you should do in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your hurt, you can have the comfort and the peace that you're supposed to have. Why? Because your pain is strong. But Jesus is stronger. Maybe you're thinking, Steve, unless and until God rescues me from this financial hardship that I'm in, there is nothing that I can do for God. As long as I am facing this pressure, I have nothing left to give. Sure you do. No matter what kind of pressure you are coming up against, no matter what kind of circumstances or frustration you are dealing with, that circumstance, that frustration does not have the power to keep you from loving God with your whole self and loving your neighbor as yourself. And you're thinking, Steve, you don't understand the pressure that I'm under. And I'm here to tell you, your pressure is great, but Jesus is greater. If you only knew the things that I've done or the things that have been done to me, you'd understand that that I don't deserve the life that I'm supposed to have. That's for the guy next to me or that's for the girl next to me. Look, your shame, your disappointment, your mistakes, your failures, your regret, those things are strong and they are great. 
But Jesus is stronger, and Jesus is greater. Everything that Jesus says, he says it for your good. He says it so that you can have the life that you're supposed to have, so that your mind, your heart, your body, your relationships can go from being dead to being alive again. And so you should know what he says, and you should do what he says. Everything that Jesus does, he does it for your good. He does it for my good. He does it, and he does those things so that you and I and our neighborhood and our city and our world can have the lives, can experience the lives that we're supposed to have. And so if there's something that you need, something that is keeping you from being able to experience that life, you should ask him for it. Before you decide that this sickness, that this hurt, that this pain, that this loss, that this addiction is the way it is and is always the way that it's going to be, why don't you let Jesus make that decision? Why don't you ask him to allow you to experience life the way that it's supposed to be and let him decide what that's going to look like? Now, you and I know that whenever you dive into a passage like this in a room with this many people in it, you're going to unearth some things. Maybe it's unmet expectations. Maybe it's unresolved hurts. Maybe it's a need to know more of what it is that Jesus says. Maybe it's the courage to do something that he's already been saying. Maybe it's for him to do something in your life that no one else will ever be able to do. Maybe you need a miracle. Regardless of what that need is, the greatest tool that God gives us in these moments and in these circumstances, is prayer. It's to allow others and to ask others to pray, to intercede, to go to God for you on your behalf. And so I'm going to ask you to do something that may make some of you very uncomfortable. As we enter into our response moment, I want you to ask God what it is that you need. Do you need knowledge? Do you need courage? Do you need him to do something that only he can do? And you're going to have an opportunity this morning to receive prayer. For that thing. As we enter into our worship response, we're going to have people who are going to be available down this hallway, right through this door, and just down this hallway, right through this door, who are going to be available to pray with you. And so as we enter into our worship response moment, I want you to ask God, what is it that I need? Do I need knowledge? Do I need discernment? Do I need courage? Do I just need you to do something? I want you to take, take advantage of the opportunity to ask one of our prayer team members who are going to be available right back here and right back here to pray for you. And if God shows you whatever, whatever it is that you, that you need, I want you to go see one of our prayer partners and just briefly ask them, hey, this is what I think I need. Would you pray that God would make this a reality in my life? Maybe it's for a desire to learn. Maybe it's for just discipline to learn. Maybe it's for courage to do something that I already know I'm supposed to do. Maybe it's for God to do this ridiculous miracle that I know no one else can do. And even as I'm describing this, some of you are thinking, Steve, this, this, this is weird. I haven't done this before. I don't, I, I don't know that I'm comfortable doing this. And I just have to ask you, what do you have to lose? I mean it. What do you have to lose? Are, are you afraid that someone's going to take your seat? You don't even like your seat right now. You can't wait <laughs> till I wrap up so that you can get out of your seat. Are you afraid that someone's going to think that you're weird for going for prayer, they're going to think, oh man, that guy needs prayer. That girl needs prayer. They must not be a very strong Christian. I'm just glad that I'm not so weak that I need prayer. Look, it sounds ridiculous when I say it, but it doesn't sound so weird when you think it. 
there is a life that you are supposed to have. There is a life that Jesus wants you to have. And so I hope and I pray that in this moment, as our worship team comes up and leads us in our response moment, that as God shows you what it is that's missing, what it is that's lacking, that you will take a risk, that you will take a moment, go see one of our prayer team members who are going to be on this side and this side, and just go ask them to pray that God would bring about that thing in your life so that you can have the life that you're supposed to have. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word to us. Thank you for your reminder that you came not just to teach us, not just to heal us, but rather to transform us and make us into what we're supposed to be, to make our lives the way that they're supposed to be. Lord, I ask that in these moments that your spirit would move in this place, that you would bring about in us the needs that we have, and that we would choose to come to you and receive prayer, receive your blessing on us in order to live those lives that we're supposed to have. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.